A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This is an episode in our Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week. Please check the show notes for a raffle giveaway of free tickets to the conference and more information about the Knowledge Graph Conference itself. There will be more information at the end of the episode. Thanks. Hello to the Data Mesh community. My name is Thomas Deedy, co-founder of the Knowledge Graph Conference, and I'm excited to announce our fourth and largest conference taking place at the beautiful Cornell Tech Campus in New York, and also streamed live on our virtual platform the first week in May. This year, we're adding new content focused on topics such as Web3 and decentralization, SEO, data architecture, open knowledge network, and and an entire track dedicated to business use cases. We're excited to welcome over 75 leaders from across the globe, including some amazing keynotes. We'll have over 20 workshops and tutorials and 10 tracks in the conference across the five days. We're running an in-person symposium on healthcare and life sciences, a tools and demos track, and we're also continuing our successful startup pitch event. And importantly, we're organizing numerous in-person networking events during each day and also in the evenings of the conference. So looking forward to seeing you in New York or online the first week of May, and do take the time to enter the raffle. Thank you. In this episode of the Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week, special guest host Ellie Young, the founder of Common Action, interviewed Olivier Volverick, senior consultant and manager at Octo Technology. The first two-thirds of the interview, Olivier and Ellie chatted about a lot of concepts specifically around data mesh, and then they linked in those concepts around data mesh to knowledge graph in the last third of the interview. 
For Olivier, a knowledge graph is the map for the data that is available. Each data product, or you know, as some people call it, a node in the data mesh, is the representation of the knowledge within the organization. The knowledge graph is the abstraction of that knowledge across the data mesh, a logical representation on top of the data mesh nodes to help people make sense of the data mesh. Currently, Olivier is working with a client sharing their data in a data marketplace. They're working on implementing a knowledge graph on that, but not a knowledge graph on top of their internal data just yet. If they are seeing value from applying a knowledge graph to that external data in that data marketplace, they're considering uh, applying a knowledge graph to their internal usage as well. Olivier shared his view that it's easier to start with a data mesh than a knowledge graph. Any first steps with a data mesh is likely to bring you value. It's not the same with knowledge graphs. You have to do more work to get to the value with a knowledge graph. Now on to kind of the data mesh part of the conversation specifically. So Olivier previously worked on the operational side of software engineering. He realized they had lots of data sitting in databases, but the data was just a consequence. It was state data. There was no real temporal dimension. He wanted to apply machine learning to the data, but he was suffering from low quality data, just like the people on the data team. The producing teams really never thought about the data to be shared with others. For Olivier, the way to fix this is to put data back at the center of the domain and flip the script. Make the operational data store the consequence of changes in the data. Olivier believes there is a need to think about the semantics of the data as it will be used by the rest of the organization. Data can no longer be just an internal asset of the domain. If we believe we need the data to actually be used, we need that data to actually provide value. Make the data usable and useful. To get specific, Olivier shared a use case of a clothing retailer. They might be getting people's body type and, and measurements to help them choose clothes that fit better, but the company could also use that data to make better fitted clothes for a broader range of their customers. They might have more insights so they can change the way they tailor or design their clothing. Ellie asked about how can we standardize how we capture and share data? Olivier is not sure if we can harmonize how we capture data. So instead, we need to harmonize on that aggregation and that integration. Olivier also talked about the challenges around finding the equilibrium between data consumer and data producer needs slash wants. For Olivier, uh, adapt is better than adopt. There is no by the book way to implement data mesh because that would never be applicable to any real organization. Olivier also mentioned the need for a framework for how teams will communicate and work together, such as team topologies. So there's a lot of background here around data mesh, which um, you know I think is very, very useful uh, and interesting. But if people have really done a lot with of listening to other episodes and things like that, uh, the part that, that really covers a lot of the knowledge graph is kind of the last third or so of the interview, and the interview is about an hour long. So the, the aspects of the knowledge graph part is in the last uh, third or so of the interview. So about uh, you know 40 minutes in is when they start to jump into a lot of the information about 
knowledge graphs and how they apply and kind of where Olivier's journey is with that. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll say, you know, this is a great episode and uh, I think you'll learn a lot from it. So let's go ahead and jump in. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining the second uh, podcast takeover on Scott Hurlman's uh, Data Mesh podcast for the Knowledge Graph Conference special week. I'm Ellie Young. I'm the former head of community at Knowledge Graph Conference and the former host of Knowledge Espresso, which I suppose this is kind of a version of. Um, I'm joined today by Olivier Wolverick. Is that Yep. And yeah, he yeah, is yeah. Um, he is a data mesh uh, fan. He has a lot of opinions about why we need data mesh and knowledge graphs in our organization. So Olivier, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you work and what you're working on right now. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm Olivier. I'm French. I live in France. I work for a, for a, a a consulting company called Doctor Technology in France, which is part, uh, part of uh, Accenture, bigger group. Um, I am I am specialist in in data, and um, I come from the operational world, uh, basically. So I do IT and develop and host digital assets for twenty years now. And uh, more and more, I realized that we were. Um, we had more and more data to deal with, and we needed to extract and get sense of the data and to exploit those data in a more efficient way. This is when I I turned to um, to data architecture recently, and I worked for various companies, uh, big retail companies in France uh, and worldwide. Worldwide, uh, and then I saw I discovered this paradigm called da data mesh and this wonderful community. So hello, all members of the community, mm -hmm. uh, and um, I'm trying to understand and to apply the concept of the data mesh and adapt them to various companies to help them uh, reach the goal uh, as exposed by Shamak, which is uh, doing uh, analytical use cases at scale, mm -hmm. basically in two words. Excellent. Yes, that's fan, a fantastic uh, goal, which I think many of the listeners here share. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what was your experience that that sort of opened your eyes to um, the, the need for data integration like Jamak shares about? I am, as I, as I explained in my introduction, I come from the operational world, uh, meaning I used to develop tools, digital tools, assets, and softwares to help the uh, business uh, to operate. Uh, for example, if you're a sports goods uh, retail company, um, I can provide some um, e-commerce websites or services to sell sports goods. And um, from this point, uh, I realized that we had a, a lot of data uh, that were sitting in databases, but those data were a consequence. Uh, 
And um, as a fan of machine learning uh, back then, I say, can we maybe use those uh, those data to apply some machine learning principles and uh, do better operation and better stuff? Um, they didn't work easily because I realized that in the databases we had state data. So there, there was data at um, a certain point in time. We didn't have any type temporal dimension. So I say maybe you can store temporal dimensions. And then I realized that in all the companies I work for, uh, there was uh, um, a department called the data department that was usually uh, separated from the IT. And uh, the, this department was, um, was uh, composed of smart people. Uh, those people were doing business intelligence. They were business analysts. And so uh, some were data scientists. And they were working on uh, data that had a temporal dimension. Those data was uh, inherited from uh, our operational services. And basically, they were suffering because the, the quality of the data was not important. And the reason why was what the reason was that um, we did not think of the data in the operational world. We were thinking about the operation, and the data was a consequence. We didn't we never thought about the data uh, to be shared with someone and to be used uh, expressive uh, to be used uh, specifically. So uh, I say maybe there is something, uh, this great wall of incorporation between the, uh, between the operation and the analytical world. Um, we need to break down, we, we need to break this, uh, this wall and work together because uh, eventually uh, the business will benefit from the, from the data. And this is when I discovered the work from Jean-Marc Degani about the data mesh and the uh, first introduction, if I remember correctly, was this great, uh, this great device. I say, okay, this is a pain I'm suffering. Uh, this is a pain I'm, in, um, I'm uh, seeing every day in my life. So maybe data mesh is, is the answer. And then I started to get interested in data mesh to see if we can, uh, how we can apply those principles, think, change the paradigm, uh, put the data back uh, at the center of the, uh, of the domain and uh, see the operation more as a consequence than uh, as the um, as the the origin of the of the data. I I love this notion that you you have of you know the wall right like you had this personal experience that that Jamak captures very well um, of literally seeing that one function is related to the the other function and, and yet there's no bridge and and so you know unless you are somehow aware of that, they're, they're not going to be able to perform at the, the capability that they, they may have. Um, and so this is what it's all about, right? It's sort of like how we can form the integration components between different people, different departments, different actions, different data sets, so we can all together produce um, a, a coherent system. So you know, I guess the question is like, who are all of these groups that that need to participate with the creation, the usage of data? What does it look like as an integrated system for making data, you know, work the way it's supposed to? Um, <clears throat> to um, the the integration, the integration process should be uh, first is to. Uh, um, to think about the data as an asset that will be exposed 
uh, not only from the through the operational service, but uh, that be that it, that will be used by some by someone else. So at first we have raw data that sits in the on, in the operational database. Uh, we at the very beginning need to think about the semantic of the data uh, as it will be used by the organization. Uh, meaning that we we can't just expose the table uh, on uh, and um, set a change data capture of on our database. This wouldn't this would not have any sense and uh, has no meaning. No, the, it's not meaningful and it's not usable by by the others. So the first uh, the first thing is to think about the semantic of the data and the constraint of the data to describe this this kind of schema. My data when I will expose it and propose it to the company will have this format. Therefore, this data, uh, this data will become usable uh, by others. Uh, then uh, we need to, um, uh, we need to make those data useful, obviously. So uh, we need to make those data useful. It, it, it means that we need a proper definition that is coherent with the business. Uh, we need to um, break this silo of the data as an operational internal, uh, as an internal, um, an internal asset of the domain. We need to expose uh, to to expose the data, and then eventually we need those data to be used. Otherwise, uh, otherwise it's pointless to 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 change the paradigm. So we need those data to be used, and uh, to be used, they they need to provide some values to the to the business and to the company and uh, how to do that the company the companies I work for I usually have a vision all good companies have a vision and those data should be um, usable and interesting to fulfill the vision of the company and this vision of the company is um, is fulfilled via operational needs in, by day-to-day -day operations and uh, also is um, is uh, managed by uh, uh, various analysts that take decisions regarding those data. So we have the, the, the integration is we get raw data, we put some sense and semantic of the data, we expose the data, we standardize it so they can be used. So we have a data that is, uh, that is eventually uh, used, usable and useful. So this is, I mean, so this, like, this all sounds like amazing and makes so much sense intuitively, but when we think about the current position of, you know, data in a, in a typical organization, it's pretty different than this, right? So what, you know, what does, how, how does this compare um, to the current starting point? And then what do we need to do? What are the things that we need to think about to transform from, you know, the data lake to where we're, what, what you're describing? Um. So there is a full need to change the the, the paradigm. So the the journey is important. Uh, the data mesh can be a target, uh, but the journey is important. So we need to uh, start small, move fast, and think big. Uh, mm -hmm. Data mesh is about thinking big. So we need we we have the data uh, at the at the center of each domain. We have this mesh, and we have a full knowledge of the of the business. And we think big. Eventually, we can just query the the, the whole mesh and get. I need some informations. Uh, um, give me give me the informations about the the sales, about the supply, about the about the stocks. So this is thinking big. Uh, we need to start small, uh, and this is the, the the first way we need to move. We obviously would will not break. The, the, the data the data lake the, the governance in place 
the governance in place. So we need to take a proper analytical use case and say, okay, let's let's find a use case that is uh, that may be coherent with uh, that have um, an operational um, uh, an operational um, need and uh, analytical an analytical in that is an analytical use case that can provide value to the company. For example, um, if you are um, if you are uh, building um, clothes, uh, you are a retailer, you're, you're selling clothes. Um, you may have, uh, you may provide a service that um, um, that grab and help you that grab your morpho morphology uh, and help you find the the, the correct size of uh, mm -hmm. of your trousers or your t-shirts. But you can use your data uh, as a proper use case to uh, build um, more fitted. Uh, uh, clothes, trousers, and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a use case that uh, re, re need uh, both words. And you start with this use case. You have this analytical use case. What are the what are the the shirts that are uh, sold uh, correctly, etc., uh, etc. Et and then you realize you assume them. You start small. This is a, a a domain, and then you have a data in between. You have a morphology data in between. So you have. Uh, you can couple your elements, or you can say maybe those data will be useful for the company at another time because we have a vision and stuff like that. So you start more and you move fast. You move fast by uh, exposing the semantic of the data. You move fast by uh, standardizing the exchange of the data. And then maybe another use case will take, um, will use your data uh, to, to use that. And then all of a sudden, you have two use cases, and then uh, appears this this, um, this necessity to uh, put a governance around the system. Uh, otherwise, uh, the people um, will uh, to to avoid any uh, in, to avoid the independent domains to form to keep the autonomy, but uh, break the the idea of independent domains to to start to form the mesh. And then you move fast. You had you you put your standards and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You can rely on the existing infrastructure at, at first, because you don't need to break your data lake. I mean, decentralizing is the idea of decentralizing the ownership of the data. Maybe you can uh, physically put all your data in a, in in a single bucket or in a single database if your company is small enough, but with a proper segregation and. Um, the, the important part is to um, to guarantee that the uh, owner of the data is responsible of its quality and also uh, responsible responsible of the treatment that will be applied uh, on the, on its on its data. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we think about this, there's a few different themes that I'm I'm capturing. So one of them is is that we have to if we're starting from a, a clean slate, right? We don't have any kind of data mesh uh, at the beginning. Um, we need to define what this shareable sort of standard is is going to be. There's some kind of structure that we'll have to present our data in publicly in order to expose it. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone has to adopt, right? So that that's a purpose. That's sort of like a, a discovery process, which you know. In the first use case can be done, and then it and then it exists, and it can be repeated, as you mentioned, um, and that in so so that's one one component. But as we think about you know the whole uh, system of the data mesh, we have to uh, address many different types of of goals, right? So is it that as we think about the structure, like how we're going to present that data, um, this is also the time to think 
think about how we're going to capture it, like who is going to give it to us and, and how are we going to find and, and uh, surface data that's valuable for the goals of the company? Or is that a separate process where, you know, we have to sort of strategically evaluate the, the data requirements and then think about how to, to meet those in, in other ways? Can you say it again? I'm not sure. I didn't. I don't want to rephrase it, and I'm not sure I didn't. Yeah. Make it yeah. So, so, that, so my question is: um, so there's a, like a, the technical standardization, right? Like we have to have our data in in mm -hmm. the same format so we can you know transact with it. Um, but then there's also like the there's also these other components of the system that you're describing, like for example, you know, capturing the data, right? Like where does the data come from? Is it a user input? Um, what, how do we incentivize that user to give us the input and what kind of user input is needed? I imagine like from someone, you know, far away, we might have some, some useful information that needs to go to like the operations department or the analysis department, as you mentioned, how do we think about, um, the, the harmonization of capturing that data asking for it, the human like psychology of giving that data on all these kinds of things. Um, I see. Um, um, I, I'm not sure there is a proper way to harmonize the, the capture of data. Um, there, is, there are two sources of data. I mean, uh, the data you, we capture from the, the operation by itself, so uh, from the, the behavior of the consumers. And there is the, the, the data that is aggregated from various sources. Which is also which becomes a source of data as well, and um, and th both data should be affordant, uh, meaning that we should be uh, obvious how to use them uh, within the company. I'm not sure that there is a way to uh, to think about it. I know uh, I used to say uh, we used to say before that uh, if it's free, you're the product. Uh, people people know that for years. Uh, recently, we said if it's free, you're the data set. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not the data set anymore. Nobody is, um, we all aware that uh, when uh, a company provides a service, uh, in exchange, we provide some data. And we have the right to say, uh, no, we don't want to provide the data uh, right now. And in Europe, we have the GDPR, which is very, very powerful and protection of data. Um, but, uh, but yes, this is the idea. Basically, I don't know uh, how to... Uh, you can't just ask the people to give the, uh, them to give you those data without providing them some services. Uh, yeah. it, it can be uh, in in a, in the medical way. You could say maybe uh, give give us the data about the morphology because we use those data to heal other people. This is for good. So maybe people will give they 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 data to help some other people. But for a um, for a private company, there's no way I can see any. Um, like uh, there is no way to 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 or um, to organize the um, to standardize the uh, the the services to grab the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think standardizing, you know, something that's so human, like that's probably never going to happen. But but we but we need to think about this in some kind of like ordered way, right? Because I I think right now um, when we you know the the analysis, like the capture of data, it might be just sort of, it might not be aligned with greater goals and strategies. 
um, which is part of the whole idea of moving to data as a product. What is it a product for, right? Who will use this to do what, and thus what needs to happen mm -hmm. before all of that to make sure that that we get the right item. Um, and so, you know, are there just are there any um, like like so? I'm thinking just listening to your your example here. One rule of thumb to incorporate is how to incentivize the the user, right? So maybe that user is a department that has to produce some kind of data set. Why do they do that? Is it because you know they understand that they're contributing to the value of the other department? Like you recognize in your research between the between both sides of the great wall, um, or are there other things? Maybe like we have to think about how to make incentives that feedback, right? Maybe I give you this data and then you give me something that I need. What what kinds of things have you have you thought about in that in that hmm. regard? Um, two different steps. Uh, once again, uh, first there is the if we're talking about my data, my personal data. Um, uh, I'm talking about the Europe because I work I work in France. Um, uh, you need to expose the treatment that will be done to your personal data, and then you give them. Uh, you agree to use a service that we collect your data and that will use those data uh, for this, 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 this treatment. And you can't do any other treatment than those that are listed. So mm -hmm. there, there's no need to more incentive. If the service is good enough, you give your data because mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you do your risk analysis, you pay, you pay the price with your data and the price mm -hmm. is, is worth it. And there's a, a difference uh, when you start with uh, um, data anonymization, uh, I say pure anonymization, not pseudonymization. Um, this you can't. You don't have the you don't have the ID, and then you have to trust uh, those big companies that will, will do. Um, you have to be in faith with their vision because you know that they will use the, uh, your data, uh, the data you've provided, even if they are anonymous and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but they will use those data to uh, fulfill their vision. And if you're not in phase, uh, if you disagree with their, with their vision, you won't, uh, you, you won't give, you the, give them your data. This is why it's important to, uh, for companies to have a vision and to expose this vision. Um, you have the, 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 the big, uh, you have to be the big players, the big uh, GAFA, or, Facebook, Amazon, and I don't want to do any finger pointing. Finger pointing, they are two very good companies. Um, by now, you people are giving their data to Facebook because uh, they need the service that Facebook provides us. Uh, if tomorrow another company uh, needs to um, wants to um, to provide a social system that maybe I don't know with a, with a proper vision about helping other people to communicate. Uh, uh, help, whatever, maybe they won't need to provide such a good service because people will say, okay, I know, I'm aware, I give them those data. This company is getting bigger, but they're doing something good for the humanity, for the, for humankind. Um, mm -hmm. And this is this is the two incentives. So all the ones, it's personal, uh, you give your data because you have a service point, or the other way is you give the data because you have a service and obviously the company will do something good and you um, um, you are in phase, and you want to participate to do, to the good uh, that the company is doing. So, when you think about operationalizing 
that in a business context, right? Are there any, um, you know, what are there new challenges that that brings up? So, you know, it's it's very different to coordinate across departments and to exchange information in this way. Um, and there's and there's and I've heard, you know, there's communication challenges that arise because of that. Maybe one entity has a, a data set that they no longer can maintain, but another entity uses that. Hmm. How how do those kinds of um, challenges get addressed and are there you know is it sort of like a, a one one by one we we figure out how to negotiate or um yeah it is it is basically one by one um eventually uh, when uh, people reaching the, the the data mesh point uh have a federated federated governance and this federated governance is a kind of uh, sociocratic way to to manage the, the data and it's more easy uh, to deal with it, um, but uh, most of the companies are far from a federated governance. They are a top-down, go- uh, centralized governance, and you have to uh, really deal with the, uh, the various interests of the people and get an equilibrium between the interest of the data, uh, uh, the data business unit, and the uh, whatever domain business unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a trade-off. Uh, um, because uh, most of the companies, um, uh, um, yeah, because because of the separation, it's it's the 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 Conway uh, the Conway slow. Uh, basically, we have the organization, uh, the, the systems uh, look like the organization. So we have a separation, but the organization is separated, and then the the, the different chief officers. Or uh, department managers have um, do not have the same incentive, so we have to find a trade-off because they say, okay, maybe um, this will uh, I will change my time to market. I will lower my time to market because it's important for to get those data. Uh, mm-hmm. to, so it's very it's um, it it depends on the companies. Uh, adapt is better than adopt. There is no by the book way to implement this, and even if there was a by the book by the book uh, way to implement this, this this would not work for most of the most of the companies because because there's human in between so yes right exactly like the you know a, a by the book way would just be another top down approach but this mm. is almost the opposite of it's the solution to that right is it's how do you build this living system inside but i think it's important to 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 think about what you're just describing there maybe your time to market is extended because you're capturing the data for this other group like mm. when you start to think about you know moving inside of a system and this is true in, in like the natural world as well um then it's then you have to make trade you, you have to make compromises right mm-hmm. like maybe on your own you would do all these things and there's no problem but if we put you inside of a context then you know there's other needs that need to be responded to and that's a big cultural shift right so is is that i mean so this is kind of the big the big thing is you know um for companies that are thinking about maybe adopting a data mesh project or thinking in this direction there's a technical component, you know, there's evaluating whether this is the right thing to do and, and how this will uh, look methodologically. But then there's also this this cultural piece that that has to really form a, a, a major part of the of the initiative. So and we've talked about this in the, in the previous call with Veronica, we you know described the, the need to build relationships across functions and, mm-hmm. and things like this. Um, what are some good uh, rules of thumb that that you've seen that work, or, or things to just kind of keep in mind as you navigate new relationships? Mm, 
the socio-technical approach uh, is something that we always need to think about. Uh, what is a good rule of thumb? Um, or what does it look like? What you know? What what's what do people face when they think about these things? Is is there because I'm imagining like if if you have these two managers who have different incentives and we don't like have them align at some point in the process, then it might be pretty difficult to yeah. And and this this is basically the idea. Uh, you do uh, workshops to do some. You have there is somewhere uh, a place where they are aligned. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would not work for the same company. Right. So the, the 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 idea is to um, once again work uh, with the, the vision and uh, um, uh, with the, the various events. Uh, we have a lot of t- we have great toolbox to toolbox to describe the the events and uh, let's take uh, an event storming for example. You you put some events in the past and at the very beginning there is this this event creation and you can uh, draw some context, uh, some bounded context uh, around that. And at a certain point you find this uh, link between the context uh, and you have the context of the uh, uh, the operational world and the context of the analytical world for example. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, you have joined uh, you 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 have this linked uh, this context map of uh, these elements, and then all the, uh, with this context maps you uh, you try to map um, the what what um, those teams uh, how to manage the teams to uh, fulfill the needs, and there are some uh, books about it. One of those books that describes this is the idea is to lower the cognitive load of the teams. So I say, um, let's say I want to provide the data, but I can't provide the data because I don't have enough time to provide the data. My or my cognitive load is to uh, is um, is uh, used to provide more service. And then you split your organization. You use um, there's this book called Team Topologies uh, from uh, Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pais that describe this. You put on a map the various teams who, who is responsible for the platform who is in enabling the business to work uh, legitimately. Um, and uh, you describe the organization this way. And most important, once you have described this organization, you have the communication between those elements and you know how to communicate efficiently once you have uh, formalized which team is responsible of what. Some people will use will use um, product as a service. Some people will use um, uh, shared um, uh, shared people. Uh, other will communicate in uh, in various way. So this is not my my field of expertise, but basically some um, setting the the drawing the the picture the map. Uh, mm-hmm. of the of the elements then drawing the uh, the teams that are responsible of some parts and then uh, evaluating the interaction between those teams how they need to communicate based on a, a framework or call it a framework such as team topologies is, is a good start and it's something we we try to apply in the companies and with some success i imagine this can be you know a, a big challenge right because it sounds like quite a big um, organizational shift. And so, you know, you, you would really need to have a, a strong pain point, I imagine, internally to say, okay, it's, 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 we're ready to reorganize to meet that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you find? Yes. Uh, the most important uh, person is a sponsor. 
you need a good sponsor in in any project i need someone that is um if 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 you have two equal sponsors without uh, and no one is ready to do a, a a trade off this does not work you need a sponsor that says okay we will do that because uh, we need to do that and then uh, i assume and take the responsibility of the uh, the delay uh, of the operation or the delay of the analytical use case. I take the responsibility because I'm sponsoring the initiative and it's important for the company. So um, finding a good sponsor, a sponsor with a vision, uh, it, it, it's, it's really important. I know that um, Simon Wardley um, has categorized the um, the, the customers in four phases and um, it's four phases of evolution and basically when you want to shift the paradigm uh, i can provide you the links uh, um, various links for uh, for the the people listening um you need according to me find some sponsors that are in phase two of, of the evolution uh, mm. phase one is regarding the genesis so it's really a startupers uh, Phase two is about um, uh, it's about finding, uh, starting to think about the the, the product, the evolution. Uh, so yes, I think that it, 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 this is important um, to find settlers uh, mm-hmm. in this organization. Then the sponsor needs to be a phase two settlers uh, mm-hmm. of the organization. So, so we're getting a picture here. So, you know, when you have decided that this is an approach that you want to do, there emerges a sponsor who can start to rally the, the team around this organization transformation and also, you know, fo- focus on that use case that you mentioned, which which emphasizes the, the beginning of standards, technical standards and, and things like this. And, and then the, that can grow. So what does so so two questions here. Um, as we move from the the project to the mesh, right? The, the from the the mm-hmm. first to to more, what does that governance look like? And 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 is this where knowledge graphs start to be an interesting addition? Um, uh, the governance starts to be um, uh, <laughs> how does it start? Um, in the data mesh, there is a uh, this notion of federated. Compositional governance, federated governance. So this governance is not central anymore. So um, you need um, various people in the governance. You need uh, uh, the chief information security officer, the data privacy officer, um, uh, that are responsible of, because you will share some information between the between the elements. So you need to um, to set some rules. Um, for for data sharing, for data quality, for data security. This is why you need the the security officers and privacy officers. And you have this this the sponsors, maybe the uh, the chief data data officer, because um, if data mesh is a target, obviously it will have an impact on all the organization. And you have um, data owners. Um, you have defined um, you've you've defined a new data that will be uh, usable. Um, and used uh, across the company at first uh, on the the small perimeter, but then eventually at the, the end of the company. And you have uh, you may have a role of a data owner, and this data owner should be part of the governance because uh, if he is not part of the governance, uh, you may end up with some decisions that are not applicable and that or that may lower the time to market of the operational world and uh, the time 
of consumption of the data. Uh, so they will lower the the um, the uh, time to market and the time to uh, the, the 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 analytical use case. Um, the time when when the analytical use case is uh, is in place. So you need a, a, a person, this data owner, to be part of the, the governance. And the more you put elements nodes on your mesh, because this is the first node on your mesh, the more people you need to uh, put in the federated governance. Of course, obviously, you want not all the data owners will be part of this governance. You may um, work like in a sociocratic way. Um, I don't have any experience in applying uh, sociocracy uh, 3.0 in the um, uh, regarding the data governance, but I'm confident that this is a way. Uh, it's something that we apply internally in in the company and work for Octo Technology, and it's something that is working. It's 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 a bit difficult to set up uh, because there's a, a huge notion of trust that is uh, this is mandatory, and uh, we have that. But I I'm confident that this is that may be a target, but it's. In my opinion, in, in my experience as well, uh, at least it's too soon to know if if it works. I never saw um, any uh, federated computational governance in place right now. So there's some initiatives. It's a, it's a journey. It's an ongoing journey. But this is this is a target. I didn't see it right now. Okay, so so that you know that evolves, and and as you mentioned, there needs to be certain kinds of of uh, groups in the room. Everyone who is is going to be part of that process needs to be able to define it in a way that will work for them, um, which is a theme that came out of the the previous conversation with Veronica as well. Um, so how does you know? So where in this conception that so far we've just been talking about data mesh. Where does a knowledge graph come in? How is it useful to bring that technology into this uh, context? Um, this is we have. Um, let's say we've built a mesh, so we have a set of nodes, and uh, each node um, in each node there is um, there is a, a data that is uh, usable uh, for the company and that has a proper semantic. Uh, that is described and maintained by the data owner. Uh, the knowledge graph basically is the it's the map of the element because the this data mesh altogether is uh, is something that is addressable to get the data. But uh, all the data we have in the various nodes represent the knowledge, the complete knowledge of the company. Uh, the knowledge they have about the customers, the knowledge they have about the the, the business, how it is running, the the stocks, the the events, etc., um, etc. Et so, um, so the knowledge graph is an abstraction, is a representation of this knowledge. We have this data mesh. We can't. We know that we can use this data, this data, this data, but we. By now, we don't know. We may have a data catalog, uh, simple data catalog. And with this data catalog, we can say, okay, I need this uh, this morphology, but we, we don't have the, the full map uh, mm-hmm. of what <clears throat> the, the the full map of uh, the, um, the elements. Uh, sorry, I'm losing my voice. I'm, I'm French and I'm losing my voice. Very difficult <laughs> for you to follow. I'm really sorry about this. Um, um, So, um, so this this knowledge graph is the is according to me the missing piece because uh, data mesh is a way to organize the data, mm-hmm. so it can be used. And uh, the knowledge graph is a logical representation on on top of the data mesh that will bring um, 
that we allow making sense of uh, of all the data we will we have encapsulated in the in those various nodes. Mm-hmm. Right. So exactly. I mean, it's it's about visibility, right? It doesn't help if you've changed your whole organization into a totally different structure in order to share data m- more expediently if no one knows what yeah. <laughs> what is out there. And and you know, many organizations are are, are massive, right? So there's just um, there's really not a, a sense of of how to connect with you know so and so across the, the the many different departments, and this reminds me of the the map that you just mentioned for the team reorganization. The team needs to be able to see all of the processes and how they link together, just as we need to be able to see all of the data and how mm-hmm. that also can link together. And so you know, so there, there's this like there's two utilities because there's just the, the the discoverability, but then there's also the ability to go talk to a person, right? So we we know that there's this um, data that exists or there's this concept, and that node, which is just an you know representation in the graph, is actually connected to a contact person. To me, that seems like a, a very different kind of um, of use case and and value proposition for organization within companies um is that something that you know is is part of the like the maybe the way that that um that 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 encouragement is built for knowledge graphs and data mesh by the sponsor is is this an awareness that we can like now you know query across the 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 way much more easily and 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 get um i don't know better assistance i guess with our our data needs that would be um, that would that would be a perfect solution because um, uh, that would uh, a goal uh, a complete target because the, one of the goal of data mesh is uh, we can measure the the efficiency of a, of a mesh by uh, measuring the time um, uh, between the production of a data and its consumption by uh, by a, a use case. I mean, uh, I need I have a new data. And then I can set a I can set up a new use case, or I have a use case I need to uh, to grab some data, and I can measure the time. Uh, it's an internal time to market. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, if we have this graph and we have a proper mesh with a standardized way, we can say, okay, now I have a use case. Um, I would like to uh, analyze sales with uh, whatever value. I can query my graph. And say okay, I have these elements, and then I have the uh, this element. Say oh, I need this. Okay, so you query my node, and then you query this node, and then you query, query this node. I saw um, a project once that was in this ID, and that that would be perfect fit because you say the graph give you the path of mm-hmm. the uh, data you would need for the use case, and the mesh will allow allow you to um, to query the data efficiently. You would not need to say, okay, this there is this node, but uh, I don't know which language it, it talks. I don't know the the semantic of the data. I don't know how to integrate the data. The mesh provide you that. The the knowledge graph will provide you the 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 full path of the elements you would need for your use case, and the mesh would provide you the 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 method, the uh, um, the technological assets to properly access those data. And then we will lower the time for the use case. And then we have a, a short feedback loop. And then we can test analytical use case, validate if the uh, the analysis is good and uh, see if uh, the prediction is okay. And then that will, that will change the whole, the whole world, I guess. 
So I guess we're just a step away, right, from yeah. <laughs> from that beautiful vision. Um, but I mean, it's interesting because you know, I, my background is sustainability, and this is exactly what we really need to address sustainability crises. Is you know, the map of what the problems are, and then that's related to experts that you can actually go and and talk to, and you know, move the the shift the time to market, right, from recognition mm-hmm. of the problem to solution uh, rapidly. So. Um, hopefully we can, we can achieve this ambition soon. Um, so, so what's the, you know, so what's the current, if, if that's not quite where we are yet, what's the current, um, form of, of using a knowledge graph in projects that you've seen? Like, is it, you know, is is it a complete knowledge graph for the entire organization or does it also start as a small project tied to this analytical use case for data mesh, or are these just kind of happening um, you know, not necessarily at the same time, right? Like maybe there's some data mesh, maybe there's some knowledge graph, maybe one is, is first and then there's the other. How does this kind of look in practice? Um, it's not it's not at the same time, it's later because I saw a knowledge graph in retail companies. And uh, uh, to be honest, we are working with a retail company right now to have them. Uh, we have a, a trainee internally in, in Octo who is working on the subject of knowledge graph and this uh, this um, association with data mesh. What I saw is um, uh, knowledge graph is used for uh, uh, data publication on marketplaces uh, mm-hmm. for retail companies. They use that. And uh, obviously, um, when you do um, uh, a marketplace, you have uh, you have a decentralized organization of data because all the the, the providers are separated. So you have a mesh of elements of, you have a mesh of data de facto. And you, we use the knowledge graph. They use the knowledge graph to uh, present the, the, those data to, um, uh, to the publication of the system on the, on the market. Um, I guess the, this is maybe uh, somehow uh, will benefit from a data mesh, but this is another step because it's not an internal data mesh. It's a, it's a data mesh that is um, that is working externally uh, from the company because it's connected nodes that are not part of the company that are not sharing a common vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, besides uh, selling goods, uh, which is not a vision. Uh, so um, by now, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, uh, this is what I see. Knowledge graph is used to, for, for this and data mesh is used internally. I don't know if... Um, uh, in the near future, we can just uh, link them together uh, in retail companies. Not those, not those two use cases. Maybe um, they will get some experience with the knowledge graph and say, "Okay, now we know that the knowledge graph is useful for the publication of the system. We can use it internally as well for the publication of our own data, uh, mm-hmm. on our data, uh, and then say it will fit with the data mesh, or they can use the data mesh externally. Say we have one." It's not done yet. Uh, I, I, I let them gain some experience with their knowledge graph and with their ontology describing the, the elements uh, for their uh, marketplace. Uh, eventually, if, it's, uh, if they extract enough value, uh, they may apply this concept of knowledge graph internally and then up will, uh, um, will think about the data mesh, propose the approach, say maybe we can decentralize the data, use the, um, the, the knowledge graph will uh, help you uh, to address the pains of the decentralization because it's 
more easy to manage and to control the, the something that is centralized than decentralized. So you, it will bring you trust. Uh, it will bring you uh, visibility for your elements. So um, I guess it's a bit too early to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, because Knowledge Graph and, and Data Mesh have completely different origins. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you find out about one, and also they have different use cases, right? Like, so if you're using one, you may not have ever come across the other, which is why we're having these conversations <laughs> so we can bridge that narrative. Um, but it does really seem that there's that there's a tremendous benefit in incorporating them at the same time, right? And thinking about how to structure them both, because there's also sort of a feedback between um, the development processes internally. So, you know, I talked with Veronica about how knowledge graphs are hard to develop because we need to bring a lot of domain experts to contribute mm -hmm. to the ontology and no one has time and no one has this idea, you know, why, why am I doing this? What is a knowledge graph? What's an ontology? Um, but then at the same time, data mesh has these needs to connect across relationships, right? Which is, you know, it's kind of the same mm -hmm. thing, like in an inverse. Um, and so maybe this notion that you've brought up a couple of times of having like a vision, right? That, that people are, motivated by whether that's the vision for reorganizing your team <laughs> or the vision of like why you're sharing your data, maybe also the vision of why you're coming together to, to do this and to build these new network relationships could be, you know, that, that could be something that is maybe started at the same time and relates to a data mesh and a knowledge graph project, you know, simultaneously. Yes, but I think it's, um, yeah, it's difficult because uh, it's, it's it's a really big change. It's a really big paradigm shift, and um, there is some inertia in the companies. Uh, they are um, um, they have past success, and they are all running. It's the the red queen paradox. They are all running right now, and uh, they need to run twice as fast to to, to yes. move forward. And um, I guess that is too too big. Um, Two big elements to consider together uh, because they are really busy uh, operation, right. operating their business right now. So this is why we need to start very small uh, mm -hmm. and 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 eventually um, uh, get some feedback loop and uh, a short feedback loop. So I uh, startups may do that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think startups may do that, and if they do that, uh, they will run very fast. And all the people will have to run uh, um, to run after them, and this is the idea to do that. Is it is it the good stuff? I don't know because um, it's always getting faster and faster, and it's, it's not good for from humankind. But it's another problem. Um, but I think I think it's um, it can be too too big to start. Uh, this is uh, according to me one of the reason why uh, some. Uh, knowledge graph uh, projects didn't go, didn't went out of the academic world mm -hmm. because there are very, very, very good elements in the academic world. Very good papers, very good uh, stuff. I I studied the the turtle language, the RDF, the the web semantic. This is this is very, very, very good, but it did not go from the academic world for, uh, into the, um, the the private world, uh, into the business world, because they did not have time and they did not, um, their time was not worth the value they would extract. They thought they would extract. Uh, 
uh, we're mm -hmm. sure, I, I mean, uh, we're sure here that there is a huge value, but um, the investment is important. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's it. I mean, that's kind of the, what you just described there is at the heart of all of this, right? Like the person, all of the people have to see what the incentive is for them. And the more people you're trying to connect, the, you know, the, the, the harder that challenge can be. And so maybe, you know, knowledge graph, um, was, I mean, well, there's lots of things that, that we could extend that to, but, um, but, but I guess like, as we kind of near the end of, of our time, um, I'm curious, as you mentioned, like it's a big paradigm shift. There's a lot of inertia and everyone's busy with the things that they need to do today just to keep running. Um, so what would you suggest as, you know, sort of the most, of course, like this is probably dependent on context, but but do you have a preference between starting with a data mesh or a knowledge graph? First question. Um, I think it's easier to start with a data mesh uh, mm -hmm. because um, um, because any first step you will do will bring you some value. Mm -hmm. And even if you stop with after the first step, of course, if you start to put the to set a revolution into your system. That won't work. Uh, if you break everything and say, okay, rebuild everything onto data mesh, that won't work. But every first step you will do with data mesh will bring you value. And if you stop after the first step, you will have value. Maybe it's mm -hmm. enough. Uh, I, from my understanding, it's not the same with the knowledge graph. Once again, I'm not an expert with the knowledge graph. So um, if you want to start with knowledge graph, I, I guess that the, 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 the customers, the, the clients I'm, I'm working with uh, do the right stuff. They apply the knowledge graph for something that is only doable with the knowledge graph. Mm -hmm. And this is a good idea. And then you gain some experience. The people start to think uh, about the, the, this knowledge graph. They, they know what an ontology is. They know how to build an ontology. And this, uh, that can uh, spread the value within the company. So two steps here. Um, you can start a data mesh journey with whatever use case, whatever analytical use case. Uh, but if you want to start a knowledge graph journey, you have to use a specific use case constraint um, that will bring you, uh, where the knowledge graph will bring some value that is unique and uh, that you won't get without the knowledge graph. And then you gain some experience and you spread uh, the knowledge graph across the company. This, this is my idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, it makes sense, right? From just even from like a, a practical perspective, it's much easier to connect data between your departments than it is to bring in like the, the RDF engineer who is going to sit down and build this, this really large infrastructure. So if you're experimenting with new approaches for your data world and you're just starting out in this space, you should start to connect the needs between your organization. So going back to your first example, you know, if you have the, the data people and the IT people and they're separate, Maybe they should be talking to each other, right? Maybe yeah. there's some some value from integrating those approaches, and then once you start to to, to explore that, and you find you know that the new challenges um, that data mesh and, and decentralization can bring, well, then there's this other tool, um, which you know knowledge graphs, which can apply to many different kinds of use cases, but in, in that one respect, are, are are pretty interesting in this space. Yeah, the the, the main idea is as usual is to um, 
manage the cognitive load of the people implementing these stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, with data mesh, you can smart, start small and manage the cognitive load and making small enough. Um, I guess that it's more difficult uh, in the data mesh, uh, in the, the knowledge graph world, because if you say, if you, um, if you bring an RDF engineer, uh, you need to bring the, the business people. They will all talk to her. This is my business. This is my vocabulary. This is my ubiquitous language. And uh, so the cognitive load of the RDF engineer will be huge. Maybe is 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 um, a star. It will it will deal with it, but uh, it will be very hard for a team, um, a complete team or a complete department or a complete company to manage this cognitive load uh, yeah. at first sight. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think I I really love this this term that you brought out, cognitive load. I mean, that's that's really the the barrier for so yeah. many projects that should be. I mean, oh, we can measure that they would be so much you know more productive or save time and all these things, but but doing them and being able to do them is is another problem. And that's probably you know to to tie this back to sustainability. That's probably why we aren't moving very quickly on climate change because it is a tremendous cognitive load, right? And Mm -mm. transforming electricity for the globe while using it <laughs> yeah. is <laughs> complex to say the least. Um, so any last thoughts for, uh, for someone who is, is thinking about exploring these, these new technologies or new approaches to technology? Um, the, um, the communities are great. Uh, I discovered the, the, both communities. I'm, uh, I'm more involved in the, the data mesh community and, um, sometimes um, using the Slack of the Knowledge Graph Conference, but um, talk to the people in the communities, share your experience, share your ideas, they will answer. They are very good, smart people and very helpful. So um, don't try to understand everything by yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. Go into the communities and ask some questions. And uh, all together, we can bring some stuff that is valuable for, for the companies and hopefully for, 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 for the people in general. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Of course, I love, you know, community as the as the answer, but also particularly in this case, right? If, if you're trying to do a data mesh, which is about connectivity and community building, mm -hmm. go talk to the people that want to help you. And there are many of them um, because we're we're excited, you know, as as I think people who um, want to solve problems and deliver better quality data like this is a uh, it's it's a it can be a hard transition for all of the practical reasons that we've you know sort of thought about, but it's also a very valuable and necessary transition. So you will find many friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. So thank you so much, Olivier. It was it was just so fun talking to you, and I've learned so much. Um, so hopefully, I'll see you in Slack along with our listeners. <laughs> I'd again like to thank our guest host Ellie Young, who's the founder of Common Action. And our guest today, Olivier Volverek, who's a senior consultant and manager at Octotechnology. As always, you can find their contact information in the show notes. This week is a takeover week for the Knowledge Graph Conference, which is happening May 2nd through 6th, in person in New York and online, and with the 4th through the 6th being kind of the main conference days and the 2nd and the 3rd being workshop days. So the reason why I wanted to do a takeover is I think that knowledge graphs are very crucial, but that I just haven't seen a lot of information about knowledge graphs and how to apply it to data mesh, or even generally that there's a lot of people within the community 
that um, are as knowledgeable on what knowledge graphs are and how they can be useful in a data mesh implementation. So that's why we agreed to a takeover week. Uh, we also agreed because they are doing a free ticket giveaway. You can see the show notes for more information on this. But I do think that knowledge graphs is something that a lot of people uh, should be looking into as to how can we leverage these so that we can think about exploring data connectivity between data products and between domains in a much easier fashion, especially so that we don't lock ourselves into overly rigid ways of sharing data so that domains themselves can evolve and that we can also think about the overall evolution of the broader organization. So again, uh, if you want to look at more information about the conference or um, sign up or look again for that, that free ticket giveaway, please do check the show notes. Thanks. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm -hmm.